Man, it makes my weekend look a little boring. I don't know. Are any of you risk takers here? Anybody risk taker? Raise your hand. All right. Anybody ever skydive? A few of you. How about bungee jump? Just a few of you. How many of you are raising children? Teenagers? That's risk taking. I'm telling you, man. It was a risk to wear this green tonight. It's the day before, you know, but I did it anyway. Some of you guys are risk takers, you know. I used to be a risk taker, but about six years ago, I almost broke my neck on a trampoline. I was doing backflips, and my daughter was screaming, don't do it, Daddy, don't do it. And I, I landed on my head, and I made this sound like I was dying. And my daughter, who was much smarter than me, was reading the warning label, which said that you may die if you do backflips on this thing. And so now I can't jump on trampolines anymore unless I have her permission. So, but I used to be a risk taker. You know, we've been in this series called Life's Playbook. And I don't know how many of you are risk takers, but as I've been listening to all this stuff that we've been going through for the last seven weeks, something has dawned on me. The playbook is risky. I mean, it's risky stuff. I mean, you just look at what it says about how we live. We give ourselves to others. We celebrate life-giving grace. We love meekness. Who does that kind of stuff? I mean, if I give myself to others, if I serve, give my life away, how do I know how they're going to accept it? There's no guarantees, right? How do I know they're not going to take advantage of me, walk all over me? Are they going to question my motives? If I celebrate life-giving grace, does that mean that I get some life-giving grace too? It's not guaranteed. How about when I hurt somebody? Do I get that grace back? Or how about meekness? How do we love meekness in a world that doesn't get meekness, that looked at meekness and called it weakness and nailed it to a cross? Yeah, the playbook is risky because the Christian life is risky. And you know, uh, we've been in this series, Life's Playbook, and we've been unpacking this stuff for the last seven weeks. And I'd love to stay here. I'd love to kind of dialogue because the playbook, it's, it's the strategy, it's the path to victory. It's how we fulfill our mission that's been around for over 25 years to transform as many people as possible into passionate and productive followers of Jesus. I'd love to keep on unpacking the strategy and to talk about core values. I love that type of stuff. But at some point, the ball gets tipped and we got to get out on the floor and play the game, right? We have to venture out into the world, a risky world that's often filled with danger and unpredictability. But we do it with passion and we do it with joy because we believe that this is what we were made for. Did you know that? Did you know that you were made to live an incredible, awesome life that's filled with risk and danger and unpredictability, but also with passion and joy? I like the way that nine-year-old Robbie says it. Have you heard of nine-year-old Robbie? He's the kid president. His uh, videos have been viewed by over five million people on the internet. He says that you were made to be awesome. Watch this video clip we have. I think we all need pep talk. The world needs you to stop being boring. Yeah, you. Boring is easy. Everybody can be boring. 
that you're good or not. Life is not a game, people. Life isn't a cereal either. Well, it is a cereal. And if life is a game, aren't we all on the same team? I mean, really, right? I'm on your team. Be on my team. This is life, people. You got air coming through your nose. You got heartbeat. That means it's time to do something. A poem. Two roads diverged in the woods, and I took the road less traveled. And it hurt, man! Really bad. Rocks, thorns, and glass. My parts broke. Not cool, Robert Frost. But what if there really were two paths? I won't be in the one that leads to awesome. It's like that dude Journey said. Don't stop believing. Unless you dream stupid. Then you should get a better dream. I think that's how it goes. Get a better dream and keep going. Keep going, keep going, and keep going. Will Michael Jordan have quit? Well, he did quit. No, he retired. Yeah, that's right. He retired. But before that, in high school, what if he quit when he didn't make the team? He would have never made Space Jam. And I love Space Jam. What will be your Space Jam? What will you create will make the world awesome? Nothing if you keep sitting there. That's why I'm talking to you today. This is your time. This is my time. It's our time. We can make every day better for each other. If we're all on the same team, let's start acting like it. We got work to do. We can cry about it or we can dance about it. We were made to be awesome. Let's get out there. I don't know everything, I'm just a kid. But I do know this. Is everybody's duty to give the world a reason to dance. So get to it. You've just been pep talked. Create something that will make the world awesome. I love that. Create something that will make the world awesome because you were made to be awesome. Do you believe that? At Lakeside, we believe that everybody was created to be in a vital relationship with Jesus Christ and that they would be transformed and that they would bring that transformation to the world, that they would share that awesomeness. Now, we don't say it like that. The way that we say it is that we believe that we have to, to fulfill our mission of transformation, we have to unleash the church to love your neighborhoods. That's what Brad talked about last week. But it's risky. So for the last six months on staff, we've been saying something over and over and over again. We started on our lead team. And then we went to the rest of the staff. And then we went to volunteers and leaders all around Lakeside. And for the past seven weeks, we've been saying it over and over at our weekend gatherings. It's sort of been this thing, we've called it a rallying cry. You know what a rallying cry is? A rallying cry means everybody looks at the mountain and says, that's where we're headed. You gather everybody up and you say, for the next three to six to nine months, this is our vision. This is what we're fixing our eyes on so that the mission can be fulfilled. And we've been saying over and over, we need to clarify who we are as a church. What's our DNA? What's our ethos? What's our character at Lakeside? Because we don't just do worship gatherings, right? We don't just show up on, this, uh, on, the, uh, on the weekend and do services and then head out. 
It's much deeper than that. And so we've been on this journey of clarifying who we are, but also what's next. And so today, this weekend, we're going to make a shift. We, we have a new rallying cry. And I'm not sure how long it's going to last, three months, six months, nine months, but it's a, it's a vision. It's, it's, it's a mountain that we're going to climb together. And we're going to continue to do these things like live out the values over here on this side. And we're going to continue to create engaging worship experiences. And we're going to continue to offer simple and clear pathways to begin, to belong, to become. But for a time, we believe that God is leading us to love our neighborhoods like never before. And so our new rallying cry is going to be, love your neighborhood. Step out. And we're going to be unpacking that. What does that mean for you? All around Lakeside Church, what does it mean for Kids Fest? What does it mean for student ministries to get out on their campus and love their campus? I was at Vista High School today. I walked by there, and there's a bunch of high school students cleaning up the campus. They're at Folsom. They're at the middle schools as well. What does it mean in every area for men's ministry, for women's ministry, for small groups, to love your neighborhood like never before? So we're going to continue to do all this other stuff, but in the meantime, we're, going to, we're just going to bang this drum for a while. And this is what the Lord told his disciples right before he left the earth, right? Isn't, this, is what he, this is what he said right before they ventured off into the world. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so go and make disciples of all the nations, He told them to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have written. And Jesus says, hey, I'm with you. And we see that in the book of Acts. We see that the Spirit comes. The Spirit of the risen Jesus comes and empowers the church to love their neighborhoods, fulfill the mission. So if you have your Bible tonight, I want to take a peek into the book of Acts, Acts chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, there's one probably around you. You can pull it up on your phone. I think we have the page number there for you. And you know, when we read the book of Acts, we read about the birth of the church. And normal people like you and me, they just go out into the world and they begin to love their neighbors and things begin to happen. But when we read the book of Acts, we have to also remember that not everything that we read is prescriptive for us. It's instructive. Everything is instructive, but not necessarily prescriptive. There's not always a one-to-one ratio. They lived in a different time. They lived in a different culture, politically, socially, economically. They They faced different things. Linguistically, they were different. Nationality was different. Everything in almost every way was different. And so what theologians tell you to do is they say you have to contextualize. And so what that means is you look at something in one culture and you say, what did that mean for them? And then you recontextualize it. You go from one culture or one context to another. And then you ask the question, so what does this mean for us? Right here, 2013, Folsom, California. And so we're going to read through some scripture, we're going to kind of peek, and then hopefully make some observations that will encourage us in our journey to love our neighbors, just like they were loving theirs. And so Acts chapter 5, and uh, we're going to read in verse 12, we're going to start there. It says, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. 
And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Now that's just some strange stuff. I mean, I'm just saying, that's, that's kind of odd. It sounds a little bit more like a Peter Jackson movie in Middle Earth. You know, signs and wonders. I mean, there's some interesting stuff going on here. We got people that are afraid of the apostles, or at least they dared not join them. Yet at the same time, people were joining them because they were believing in the message that there is a risen Jesus. And the church was growing. And then at the same time, people are being healed from sicknesses and and impure spirits and, and all of this different stuff going on. I mean, it's just an odd, odd thing. If this is your first time ever reading the Bible or you're new to it and you think it's weird... It is weird. I mean, let's just admit it. There's some strange stuff. A lot of times we can read the miracles in the Bible and go, oh, that's the Bible, you know, and it's just normal stuff. It wasn't normal. That's why they're miracles. I mean, imagine if some of this stuff was going on today. I mean, what if we had somebody on staff that had a big shadow, you know, and we're going to send him down to Mercy Folsom. Somebody like Steve Wright, he's got a big shadow. He can be Peter. He's got a big beard. Brad's not so big. You know, in the book of Acts, you know, it's, uh, it gives this little hint that, you know, Paul the Apostle was probably short, maybe even bald. And so Brad can be Paul. I think he'll like that. That's cool. Is this being recorded, by the way? Just, just checking. But let's say Steve Wright goes down to Mercy Hospital and he walks by all the rooms with the sick people and the hurting people. And his shadow just, you know, it just cast over them and they're healed. I mean, that would be some crazy stuff. And sometimes... God does some crazy stuff in our world. And if we were to sit and share some stories, some of you would have some very real stories of God doing miraculous things in your life, in the lives of people that you know. I wish miracles would happen all the time. I pray for them to happen, but sometimes they don't. God doesn't always do miracles. If you read the story, sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't. He doesn't always. And so what's going on here? I mean, sometimes the strangeness of, strangeness of a biblical narrative can kind of throw us off from the main point. And so this genre that we're reading right now in the book of Acts is historical narrative. It's the only history book in the New Testament and it's written in story form. Historical narrative. And sometimes when we read these weird things, we forget what the whole passage is about. It's like the time that the Bishop of Canterbury was teaching from Genesis chapter 3, and he's trying to communicate something about this conversation going on between Eve and the snake. And he's got stuff that he's trying to communicate, and this woman raises her hand, and she says, Bishop, was the snake real, or was the snake a metaphor? And the bishop's like, ah, I mean, that's an important question, but he's, he's like, you're missing the point. It doesn't matter whether the snake's real or not. What matters is what he said, and he's trying to communicate that, and we can kind of get derailed sometimes from what the scriptures are trying to communicate. What is Luke trying to say here to us? When we read the book of Acts, one of the main things that we see is that lives are transformed from beginning to end. 
That's about the only real consistent thing that we see, is that the power of God is at work in lots of different ways. And lives are being changed. People are believing in the message. The same people that Peter says a few months ago voted to have Jesus put on the cross. Their eyes are being opened and they're believing that this Jesus is risen from the dead. Something amazing is going on. And here's the kicker. It's happening because the apostles are out loving their neighbors. They're spending time with them. They're speaking with them. Yeah, there's miracles going on, but sometimes there's not. Look back one chapter to chapter uh, 4. At the very end of chapter 4, there's this interesting passage, and you'll find a passage very much like this at the end of chapter 2. The rhythm of the beginning of the book of Acts is that there are these things that are going on, and there's this teaching that goes on, and people respond to that teaching. And then Luke gives us these little nuggets of the community, the early community. Down in verse 32, the end of chapter 4, it says that all the believers were one, were one in heart and mind. There was unity. Which is the bigger miracle, to have somebody get up and walk that's lame or that the unity of the church? I mean, come on. You know any church history? This is some incredible stuff going on here. No one claimed that they had any, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. And you can read the rest there, how they sold land and they took money and they gave it. And it says no one was without need, which is a bigger miracle to have not one person without need or to have people healed. See, God works in all these different ways as we venture out and love our neighbors. And so it's strange, it's risky, There's wild things going on, but the bottom line is that they love their neighborhood. And so here's the lesson. When we love our neighbors, God works and things happen. Now, God's at work anyway, and we need to look around and see what is God up to, and we need to get on board with what he's doing. But when we love our neighbors, things happen. And so that's the lesson Let's continue to read some of this story in Acts chapter 5 because the story goes on. I'm just going to read parts of it to you. I'm going to read sort of the beginning and the end of this next section. In verse 17, it says that the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and they put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. And so they did that. They went out and they taught the people and more and more believed. The the leaders, the religious rulers, they got really upset about it. And one of them stood up and makes this speech. You can read about it, Gamaliel. He says, you know, if humans are doing this, it's going to fail. If God's doing it, You're going to fail. And so leave these guys alone. And so they call him back in, and it says that his speech persuaded them in verse 40. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. In other words, they beat them down physically. Jesus was flogged. It's an ugly situation. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. 
The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus was the Messiah. More strange stuff going on here. Angels showing up, saying stuff, opening prison doors. It's a wild story. But the reaction is a little bit different. Instead of people being all happy about what's going on, these religious rulers, the pesky religious rulers that, that gave Jesus such a hard time, that voted to nail him to a cross, they're here again, and now they're after his followers in the early church. And they didn't even know what to call this community. The apostles weren't called Christians until much later on. In fact, it happened in a different town in Acts chapter 11. But the angel in verse 20 shows up, and he refers to this amazing stuff that was going on, this proclaiming of Jesus being raised from the dead, the way that they were all living, this transformation that was taking place. He refers to it as this new life. It's amazing. Some of you need new life tonight. You think about your neighbors, the people that you spend time with, the people that you see. We need new life in our city, in our region. And then he says, tell the people all about this new life. You see, one of the realities about sharing the new life that you have in Christ is that someone may and most likely will get upset about it. Loving our neighbors involves opposition. And we see that here in the scriptures. Our context is different than that of the early church. But God still calls us to step out and take the risk to go and love our neighbors. Now, he doesn't call Christians to be rude. He doesn't call us to be ignorant. He doesn't call us to be out of touch with culture. And he certainly doesn't call us to be arrogant. But what he does do is he calls us to love. To go out and live out the playbook and love our neighbors. And so sometimes the message is received when we read the book of Acts. And sometimes they're laughed at. Sometimes they're beaten and put in prison. Sometimes they get out of prison. Sometimes they get killed. Sometimes they get their heads chopped off or crucified upside down. All sorts of things go on. But the bottom line is that lives continue to be transformed and little churches start to pop up all around the world. Little communities of faith begin to multiply and invade the entire world. This is what Jesus talked about when he said, even the gates of hell will not stop my church. I will build it. It will multiply. We will go into all the world. So what would it be like if we did that? Could that happen again today? Could we see people's lives transformed again and again and again? If we love our neighborhoods, I believe that we can. We will see broken families come back together. We will see people that are in need of healing be healed. We will see people receive hope and light that are caught in these dark, long tunnels of despair. I believe that God will do amazing things because when we love our neighborhood, God works and things happen. 
Now, at the very end of the chapter, Luke writes that the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy to suffer the name. And then he also says that day after day in the temple courts from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the anointed one, the awaited one. He had come, he had died for them, and he had risen again. So let me just give you two questions to ponder today. Two things to think about. The first one is, what are you willing to face for the name of Jesus? What are you willing to face to love your neighbors? The second one is, will you make loving your neighborhood a consistent part of your life? Day after day, from house to house. And maybe for some of you, it's been a long time, and you need to weave the whole idea of loving your neighborhood back into the fabric of your life. Your margin in your life has gotten so thin that you're exhausted and you don't have time. And that's why we need to make this whole idea of unleashing the church to love their neighborhoods, we need to make that a rallying cry for us. Because it's so easy to forget. It's so easy to turn inward. And we need to put an extra special amount of energy for a season into climbing this mountain of loving your neighborhood. And so we want to do that. We want to see that because we believe God will work as we love our neighbors. Robbie, little nine-year-old Robbie, the kid president, he has a condition. It's a brittle bone condition. Osteogenesis imperfecta. It's called O.I., And it's caused him to have 70 breaks since he was born, 70 bones broken. You can look it up. I mean, you got pictures of him in casts and all sorts of things. They interviewed him on CNN, and he had a big old cast on his arm. What's inspiring about Robbie isn't his condition. It's the fact that he doesn't let his condition get in the way of him celebrating life. And so he goes on, and he dances, and he inspires a world. Robbie likes to say that love changes everything, and so fill the world with it. I mean, how much more biblical can you get? Love changes everything. And we believe that we have the power through the Holy Spirit to fill the world with it. And so go and love your neighbors. Would you pray with me tonight? Father, you're so good to us. Thank you for transforming our lives and thank you for just continuing to clarify who we are as a church as we've gone through this past seven weeks of unpacking the playbook. And God, I'm aware that there are people all over this room tonight, all over Lakeside Church that are already out loving their neighbors. We've been doing that for 25 years. and, And God, that is amazing and we just want fresh wind in our sails. God, we want to rally together for this period of time in our history to once again do that like never before. And so we pray for your power, for your leadership, for your courage, that we would step out and risk for the name. And that day by day, from house to house, all over Folsom and the regions around, that people would experience your marvelous love. God, we thank you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. So there's a map on the wall. When you go outside and you take a left, there's a map, a big map. And last week, there was only one pin in it, and it was Pastor Brad's pin. 
Well, this week you'll see a whole bunch of, you'll see a bunch more pins in it, and that's our staff at Lakeside. And that's cool because it's multiplying. Next week, you're going to get a pin yourself. And there'll be somebody there, and, and we'll find your street. If your street's not there, we'll draw your street on. Steve Wright drew my street on. It wasn't there, and he drew it right on there, and it was awesome. And so now my pin's in there. And so we'll find where you live, and we'll put that. And we're going to see just this visual image of the influence that we can have in this region to share the love of Jesus with everyone and love our neighbors. So we're going to do that. We want you to be excited about that. Uh, it's, it's an encouraging time at Lakeside. I can't tell you how encouraged I am right now at Lakeside Church. Our staff is more unified than, I've, than it's ever been since I've been here. I think we're healthy. We're moving forward. There's a spring in Pastor Brad's step that I haven't seen. Um, he laughs more than I've seen him laugh. Uh, he's playful. It's just a fun time at Lakeside. And we are taking the playbook seriously and we want to live it out the best we can. We're not perfect. We've got a long way to go. But we want to continue to live it out.